hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Millennial in the Middle. Today we've got an old school episode. Uh, we're going to talk politics. It's been a minute since I've talked politics on the show. Frankly, I was sick of talking about it. I'm sure you were sick of talking about it. And as the show has evolved, as I personally have evolved, and we've had different types of guests and different types of topics that we've introduced, it's been really cool to see you know the same themes that we started with of remembering our history and learning from it and recognizing the importance of generational differences and how we think differently, how we value things differently and how that ultimately leads us to go act differently. But it's cool to see, you know, no matter what we talk about, this concept of finding the middle, finding common ground, of listening to each other, increasing in empathy just seems to ring true again and again and again. So uh, for my longtime listeners that maybe over the last few months have been like, this, this show's totally changed. He's not talking about politics anymore. Like, don't worry. It, it really, it, it hasn't been uh, taking away that piece. It's just been adding other sides. And uh, I'm sure over the next little bit, we'll discuss this a little bit more. But today, I want to give you a reaction to the results from the midterms and a bit of a preview into mainly the presidential race of 2024 that is right on our heels. Like this is going to be here before we know it. And uh, it sounds like a lot of reports say that Donald Trump is going to announce that he's going to run in the next week or so. So you better believe like talk of 24 will start now. So let's put on our, you know, the crystal ball hat or let's put on our predictive hats and be, you know, kind of uh predictive in what might happen. So anyway, we're going to dive into this. This episode won't be long. I'm not going to go into specific details of like individual races and things like that. I really just want to give the three biggest takeaways that I had and what I feel to what the results showed uh, this week, earlier this week. And then uh, we're going to talk about what 2024 might look like. So here's number one. Uh, I feel more and more so that politicians just seem to be out of touch with the voters, that we are like talking around the real issues. And I think a lot of times when you go into an election, like there are those two or three key voting issues that feel like, you know, this is what's determining how people are voting. And right now, I don't feel like you could simplify that to two or three. I think the answers are so all over the map. And it's made it hard, I think, for individuals to listen and be a part of this conversation and feel passionate about what someone is trying to support and what they're doing uh, specifically for those in the middle. Uh, because a lot of the things that have been talked about so frequently are catering to the extremes on both sides. Like the extremes are revved up and they always tend to be revved up. But those in the middle, which I think is probably like 70% of this country that find themselves not on one of the absolute sides, not on a polarity, I think we right now have been forced to try and find a home, to try and think for ourselves, well, how do I feel about this? And that ultimately is your job as a politician to make voting for you and what that means so clear, so simple that people are like, ah, oh, obviously, right? Like you don't want to put the work in people's hands to decide what they're going to, you know, how they're going to vote and what matters to them. So 
as we look forward to the next couple years and as we jump back into a presidential election year when everyone gets more involved uh, on a general level than uh, typically, especially in a midterm, I hope that we can start to dial this down into a few key voting issues and that politicians will make it easier for us to navigate what matters, what doesn't, and to try and make that decision a whole lot more clear. Uh, I think the key to that is keeping things more philosophical. I think we've gotten so caught up in the details and the different things that take place and different actions. Here's what the inflation rates at, or you know, uh, COVID. Here's how you handled all these different things. If we can simplify it to there is a major difference right now between the two parties of methods of government and what the role of government is in our lives and what freedom even looks like or means in a democratic republic how much power is too much power for the federal government should it go to the you know should more of that burden be placed on the states and what does it mean to say that you know the government can solve our problems or the free market can solve our problems like i really think if there's a politician that can start to speak to the fundamental philosophical differences between the two parties right now i think that politician probably has the best chance of winning uh you know definitely the presidential election but in any sort of election if you can articulate the difference in ideology between the two parties and explain why your ideology is better, I think you're off to a lot better start. And unfortunately, I just don't see many people out there doing that right now. Takeaway number one. Takeaway number two, stop talking about the election of 2020. No one cares anymore, right? Like, I think what we saw from the midterms is a lot of these candidates that really stayed in this, like, election denial and taking the flag of Trump up, and like, it was stolen from us and, you know, supporting January 6th, all those different things. On a general, from a general consensus, those candidates, a lot of them didn't win. And I think it says a lot and hopefully is informative moving forward into this next election cycle. Give it up. Stop talking about it. And yes, I'm looking at you, Donald. Now, here's why I say that about Donald Trump. Like, it's interesting to me, his reaction to losing in 2020. And stick with me here for a minute, but I honestly feel like he had no other option. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's justified, but he painted himself into a corner. Let me explain. Donald Trump's brand, you know, for the last, uh, you know, he runs in 16, he started talking in, you know, 12 ish. So for the last 10 years, his brand has been. I am a winner. What do I do? I win. If I get elected president, we're going to win so much you get tired of winning, right? And he put himself on this side. If he didn't hide from his wealth, he didn't hide from, you know, being a successful businessman. He wore that as a badge of honor and said, I'm a winner. Stick with me and the country will win as well. And then what was the diss that he would have on any other politician out there? The number one word he'd use is he'd call him a loser, right? And to Donald Trump and his brand, being a loser could not be a bigger indictment to an individual. 
think specifically about how we talk about Mitt Romney. So in 2012, Mitt Romney runs a campaign, it loses against Obama, an extremely popular president, doesn't beat the incumbent, and actually comes pretty darn close. But what does Donald Trump on the heels of that election start saying? Oh, Mitt Romney's a loser. And why is he a loser? Because he lost. And you know what winners don't do? They don't lose. So since Mitt Romney lost, he therefore is a loser, right? Now, here's why this is so interesting. Donald Trump goes and wins in 2016. And it just confirms what he's been saying for years now. I win. That's what I do. Now he goes to be reelected. And guess what? He doesn't win. He loses. And in fact, he was the loser. And his brand couldn't swallow that. Like he'd already painted himself in that corner. He started talking before the election even happened that if I lose, it's not because I'm a loser. It's because I had it stolen from me. It's because we have unfair elections. It's because of voter fraud. He was already stoking that argument so that if he lost, he wasn't a loser. And now I'm coming back in four years to prove, oh, I didn't lose in 2020. There's no way I lost to sleepy Joe Biden. Like, I am a winner. Okay, that argument is a loser. <laughs> I feel like any politician that focuses on the 2020 election, either you know in the election that we just saw or especially in the next election, people are tired of hearing about it right? It is not a voting issue to vote for someone because they got it robbed from them. Even if you believe that four years ago, right? Tell me why I should vote for you now and take the loss like a man, move on and stop talking about it. And I think that goes for a lot of other people in the Republican party. Like hopefully the midterm shows let's leave 2020 in the past. You know, that year was a it was a crapshoot anyway. Like, just leave that in the past. Let's move on. Stop talking about 2020. And we have the numbers now to prove you shouldn't do it. Number three. My third takeaway is how politicians handled COVID and the pandemic matters. It mattered and it matters to us today. Not because we, you know, and, and I don't say this from a sense of let's look at all the science and let's look at the mandates and should have schools been closed down and should we have, you know, banned travel, all these different things. Like those are all the specifics. But to me, COVID and how government handled the pandemic put on full display that philosophical difference I talked about at the beginning of the episode, right? How do you respond in times of crisis with more government policy, with more control, with uh, mandates, or is it placed to the local governments? Do you view things in more of a local sense rather than a federal sense? Do you leave more of the agency and more of the liberty and freedoms in to individuals or do the massive corporations and organizations, do we let them rule the day? That, to me, is the real reason that COVID mattered. And again, if someone's going to come in and talk about these philosophical differences between the two parties, how we responded and reacted and then put into place policies during that pandemic time 
to me, is the litmus test for where do you fall on that ideological scale. Now, you, you notice like that doesn't mean like we have to get into an argument of did we overreact or was COVID real or not? Was this made up? Like th th those arguments don't even make sense. There was an international crisis. A pandemic rocked the world and leaders then responded in differing ways. And how people responded matters and will continue to matter, in my opinion, to voters. There is no better example of this in my mind than Ron DeSantis. Okay, so if we look at Florida in the governor's race, here's what is probably the biggest takeaway and the most interesting thing from what we saw earlier this week. Ron DeSantis, four years ago, when he ran for governor of Florida, won by a very narrow margin. Okay. And Florida, we've known forever, has been a you know a swing state. You're used to on the presidential election night, like Florida is that key state. And whoever wins it typically tends to win the presidency. So it's a really close call when he ran four years ago. He runs for re-election now, and he wins by almost 20 points. Okay. Here's what's really fascinating about that is in those four years, we now have to assume, let's say 15%, that four years ago, 15% of the voters voted for someone else. They voted probably for a Democrat and not for Ron Santos. Four years later, 15% of those people that didn't vote for him now voted for him. That is huge. And I think a lot of that has to do, if you were to say, you know, well, why was he able to get so much more of an approval uh, in just those four years than he was? In my opinion, it's because of how he handled COVID. Florida uh, handled the pandemic differently than most states in the union. And the numbers are now showing that the people of Florida are approving of what he did and why he did it, and how he did it. And that was the biggest victory, uh, you know, but just from a sense of like changing things and probably more of uh, having more national importance and significance than anything else, which then leads me to this perfect segue into talking about 2024. I think what we found this week is that the stage has now been set for a showdown between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis for the Republican ticket. I feel like this could go so many different ways, and I'm probably more interested in what's going to happen in the Republican primary than even what happens in the general election and definitely what happens on the Democratic primary because I, I don't think it's going to be that interesting or intriguing uh, from the Democratic side. But I feel what will go down in the next little bit, and it is going to start next week. I mean, I'll tell you this right now. The fight between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, we are going to hear about for the next year when Donald Trump in a week tells us that he's going to run for president. That fight, I think, will do more to tell us about where the Republican Party is and who really holds the power than anything else. I feel, if I were going to put my prediction hat on, if Donald Trump makes his main voting issue, I lost in 2020, he keeps talking about the fraud and just stays on that boat, I think, and frankly, I hope he will lose. If Donald Trump 
can regain what he had in 2015 and 2016 as he was campaigning as that outsider, as the person that was going to come in and shake things up, that didn't care what others said. If he can get back in the national atten- the national spotlight like he did in 16, probably has a better chance of winning the primary. But I think there's a real decision that's going to need to be made uh, by Donald Trump and his team. And it's stupid to say Donald Trump's team because Donald Trump makes all the decisions and no one can control him. But that to me will be the determining factor if he is able to win the primary or not. Now for Ron DeSantis, I feel like he, he looked extremely presidential in his acceptance speech the other night. Uh, I think there will be a welcoming to someone that is younger right? Think back to 2008 when uh, Barack Obama won. Like I remember that was the first election I really paid attention to. And I was an Obama fan. Like I was swept up in that excitement. And it was because if you looked at those two candidates in 2008, it was Barack Obama who represented like new ways of thinking and progress and excitement. And he was a great orator. And John McCain, this old guy with white hair that, you know, just talked about his good old days in the war. And it just was harder to get excited about this old guy in contrast to Barack Obama. I feel like if Ron DeSantis wins, look how young his kids are, right? Look how young, like he's holding a child in his hands. Now, he, yeah, he's a little bit older, but if, if you look at that, that to me sets us up potentially if Biden wins the Democratic primary and if Ron DeSantis wins the primary for a an election that has a very, very stark contrast in energy level, in excitement, in new thoughts and, and ideas. Uh, you know, and I mean Biden was really old a couple years ago when he ran, right? And it's only going to be worse in this next election in a year or two and making him feel old and out of touch and not as sharp as he used to be. And he's been in government for, you know, 50 plus years, whatever it is. I don't see, or I see that type of battle at the top of the ticket in the general election as being very, very intriguing. And to be honest, I would give Ron DeSantis the upper hand in that argument, if it, uh, in that election, if it's against Joe Biden. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Democratic side. And what's interesting here is I have started calling the election of 2024 the battle of the unwanted incumbents. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, in a lot of ways, if Donald Trump, you know, when he's definitely going to put himself in the ring and be a part of the conversation, he almost has kind of an incumbent feel. Why? Because he's been president before. He's won an election and, and he's lost now to Joe Biden, who, you know, both of them now will have four years of being president one term under their belt. But neither of the parties right now are really excited about that individual being the future of the party. I get the vibe that, you know, both parties kind of feel like, eh, we've heard this song before. We've seen this. Like, if it's a rematch between Biden and Trump, oh, that's just not interesting at all. Like, you can just hear the audible groan that takes place. And for the last couple years now, you've seen both parties trying to figure out, is there a way to get around our unwanted incumbents? 
What was the talk with Joe Biden when he won election? Like, I don't think he'll run for two terms. He's grooming Kamala Harris to step in and take play, uh, you know, and to take charge and that he would step down for health or whatever. Like everyone thought that a lot of people didn't even think he'd make it through the four year term. Well, Kamala has not been impressive. That talk of her being in the White House has suddenly gone fully away over the last couple years. And then you have a very similar situation on the Republican side with Mike Pence. Like Mike Pence is without a home right now. Half his party is ticked off at him for abandoning Trump and not being his number two loyal guy like Donald Trump values so much loyalty. And it, he doesn't have anything that's all that inspiring or exciting to elicit this mass movement that, in my opinion, would want to rally behind Joe Biden. So you look at these two sides, like both sides have these unwanted incumbents. Both sides now have these vice presidents that aren't that exciting and aren't getting, uh, you know, getting a bunch of momentum behind them. And then frankly, there's a lack of stars, in my opinion, outside of that. I don't think the Democratic Party has anyone else to turn to. I think they know it's a huge risk by not running Joe Biden, this proven track record, and hoping people will just stick with it. Uh, if they make that change and go to a new candidate or a younger candidate, I think they would see that as too risky because no one really has risen to the top. I mean, example of that, people have talked about Beto O'Rourke forever uh, from Texas. And like that guy's lost his last three elections. He just lost uh, the governor's seat uh, as he went up against Todd Abbott in Texas. And to me, I, I see this lack of a star. Now on the Republican side, Ron DeSantis could be that star. I don't see the momentum right now with a Mike Pence or a Chris Christie or a Pompeo or a Nikki Haley. I just don't think they're there yet. But Ron DeSantis potentially could. But then the question comes, if Donald Trump really does run and it becomes clear that he's going to win the primary, is it smarter for DeSantis if he is the next star of the Republican Party to just hold off for four more years, not go against the Trumpster this time, and not have to go against an incumbent in the Democratic Party uh, and you know run his odds in 2026? Anyway... We uh, are about to jump into this long, drawn-out, and probably annoying election cycle because that's what happens over and over again. I think we got a little bit of a respite from it for the last couple years, but there are things that matter to the American people when it comes to social issues, when it comes to inflation and how we're at economically, uh, you know, the, the pain that you feel at the pump, the increase in taxes that you see that people feel on a very personal level. And then, you know, issues of how do we proceed into this world that is becoming more and more globalized? And what does the United States role on an international global scale look like uh, you know, for the next 50 years, that landscape is really, really going to change. And I think those few things will really be the determining factor of where our nation turns in the next couple years. So 
not going to, we take a little break from uh, politics here. I probably won't talk about it for the next little bit, but I will do some updates along the way. And uh, as always, I love hearing your feedback. So feel free to send me messages on social media. Like I love hearing that and feel free to share the show, share the podcast. If you haven't been listening to the last, uh, you know, 10, 15 episodes, there are some really, really insightful interviews that bring up some cool paradigm shifts that are happening in the world right now. And I'm just trying to understand it, help navigate through that so that we can adapt to what's happening, but more importantly, thrive and win with new mentalities, with new perspectives, with more opportunity than we've ever had before, in my opinion. And I think what Gen Z and millennials are doing to move us forward into the future is something that is really, really cool and exciting, but only time will tell and history will tell the story. So anyway, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate all your support. Until next time, clowns to the left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Thanks, everybody. Clowns to the left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the